Welcome to the Spitball Sessions. Prepare to enter the world of mechanics, the future of game creation, the evolution of design. With your two hosts, Josh Noyes and Luke Boulay, this is the dawning of the new age of remakes. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Spitball Sessions, a gaming concept podcast with no apparent parentheses. If this was JavaScript, we'd be doomed. Would we? Well, we'd be doomed anyway, because I don't know how to type a JavaScript. <laughs> I'm Luke Boulay, and I'll be your host for this session. Oh, you poor people. I'm joined with our resident editor and wrestling fanatic, Josh Noyes. Josh Noyes, can you refrain from any kind of wrestling reference? Yeah! Now just picture me as a cute, like short Japanese girl instead of me. I'm going to take that as a no. You cannot. I cannot. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, I've been super getting into uh, stardom Joshi Pro Wrestling over the last couple months. It's really cute. Okay, fantastic. As an explanation of what we're trying to achieve here, this podcast exists as a means to examine games and discuss their nuances. Mostly, though, it devolves into nonsense, segued into nonsense. And occasionally discussions of pro wrestling. Occasionally. The less, the better. Yeah, because Luke doesn't watch any. No. I haven't got a clue what you're talking about half the time. Nah. All right, so today we're going to be talking about something um, we could call a blast from the past, I suppose. We're going to talk about nostalgia and gaming. We can, we are going to do that, yes. And uh, not just gaming, though. I think we're going to let this broaden out on occasion and talk about other media as well. Because nostalgia in, in many forms of media is a big thing right now. It really is. And not even so much nostalgia as the reboot. Ah, oh, the reboot. I love that show. It was a good show. Weird, but no, no, pretty good. Rebooting things, not reboot. Reboot? Oh, okay. The reboot. Uh, re- I'll, let me just hit this power switch actually, on actually, your computer. Actually, here, and we'll cons- reboot. Con- considering that adding the to the front of something is how you reboot things, does that mean that the reboot of reboot would be the reboot? Is that how that works? Seems to be. Can you Can you give an example? Like... The Tomb Raider. Is that a thing? Yeah, the, the, the Tomb Raider 2013 was called The Tomb Raider. Oh. Or, or at one point it was. Okay. All right. That seems to be how you reboot things. Um, Apparently, I, I wouldn't know. It seems pretty bad if you ask me. But, like, we talked a couple weeks ago about... Uh, what was the game that got rebooted? Um, or re-released. Uh, game re-releases have been a really big thing in the last few years because of HD. Yeah, the um, HD, um, the HD thing has uh, has been a thing, and I will admit there have been some really good ones. Uh, definitely, uh, Wind Waker and uh, Twilight Princess HD are beautiful, beautiful things to get my hands on, and I have played both and love them. But I mean, if you want to get into it, if, if you want to, if we want to get into it, like I mean, I'm just going down the list here on Wikipedia. You've got just in the last few years, we've had Age of Empires two. Uh, Age of Mythology, Bully. Well, Bully was about five years ago. Uh, Another World, Arkanoid, Baldur's Gate got re-released a few years ago. Did years it really? Ago. Yeah, Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. That even came out for the uh, iPad. Wow, for the iPad. How would you even play that on an iPad? Uh, it's Well, it's turn-based, so it's not as big of a deal. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I must be the previous Baldur's Gate, not that PlayStation 3 version. Oh, no, no, not Dark Alliance, the original Baldur's Gate, the old, the one based, uh, made by Bioware, like Bioware's uh-huh. first game. I gotcha. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil, Bionic Commando, but even just in the, like, I think, I was trying to find the one from 2016, because in 2016, I think there was, just that year, like, 14 HD re-releases, uh, even including games like 
Call of Duty 4, which only was, like isn't even 10 years old yet. <clears throat> I mean, they still sell the original Call of Duty 4 at full retail pr- or at like 35 or 40 dollars on steam so and come on i mean we've got the snes and the nes mini remakes with like what is it 12 games on each of them yeah seriously for that for the representative co- uh oh uh dead tentacle you know they're, they're... Oh, yeah i think i have that and, and and, and we like i should point out like i don't necessarily object to some of these being re-released or you know we've even had some that were take thing like we had the doom re-release but then there was also last year or the year before there was the sort of new take on it called doom which apparently was very like a lot of people really liked um said it was actually a really good re uh reimagining of doom you know we had uh like De- the wolf the, there have been a couple new wolfenstein games which were very very popular diddy kong racing apparently came out on the ds yes uh- but but I mean, even even beyond just like straight re-releases. Oh, actually, yeah, well, we 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 are covering. I guess them. it was last year. Uh, Okami came out. Final Fantasy Twelve was re-released as eight uh, Actually, Square has been going nuts with this. Almost every single version of Final Fantasy has been re-released for that for the three DS, the PC, and other consoles. Yeah, it's exactly. been pretty common. So, but what we want to talk about, I think, is how you would do some of these things without directly just remaking or reimagining the games. Because, like, you know, we have, you know, Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age is a pretty good re-release of Final Fantasy XII. Um, and it adds some cool new stuff. And Bully uh, Scholarship Edition is a really good re-release of Bully. But, like, like I said, I think last year it was 17 or 18 games, including some that really... Like, we don't really re- need a re-release of the Gears of War trilogy. I think pretty much anybody who cared about that already got that. Um, yeah. I mean, even like even <clears throat> for all that it did new, like, even StarCraft 2 is basically StarCraft. Not really. That, that doesn't apply. I think that's going to apply to uh, the reboot uh, side of this conversation, not the re-release. No, well, that's what I mean. It's 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 a reboot, but it's, it's, still, it's a still a direct a lift of... Starcraft, it still plays pretty much like. like mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I, I think I think people different... could actually argue for the fact that that's more of a sequel than think, a, than a reboot. I mean, you you but... can obviously, but I think ga- like gameplay. I mean, it, it is obviously a sequel, and I also think that fifteen years in between is a little bit more excusable. Yeah, uh, as opposed to the annual Call of Duties or the semi-annual Tomb Raiders or the you know biannual like you know we're on Halo what six or seven now. Uh, uh, uh are we even doing Halo anymore? Well, Halo Five came out either a year or two ago. Oh, good grief! So I think that I think Halo Six is out this year. Wow. Um, I mean, even 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 games that I like, like Harvest Moon, they still put out a Harvest Moon every year or every two years. And I think you're right, and especially with that, the it's a touchy subject when you think about it, because it's a fine line to walk. Because right. on the one hand, there are games that I definitely want to see remade. Like mm-hmm. the Homeworld season. Homeworld Remastered was phenomenal. Right. Absolutely happy to have that on my system because it's a pain in the butt to get the original Homeworld running. Right. But then at the same time, you're right. I don't I don't want Gears of War trilogy remake just because they put it into a triple package and gave it better well, and, graphics. But which, I mean, and, and I'm willing to why? say there are probably some people. Well, I'm sure there are probably <clears throat> some people out there who have fond memories of, of Gears of War and would like to play through it. I mean, looking at sales numbers, probably more than the original Homeworld, but the reality is, like, Gears of War 3 
I mean, Gears of War 3 came out like three years before Gears of War HD, and I'm not going to say that they didn't do some changes to it, but it just feels like a lot of these things are... Oh, cash new, grabs. Cash grabs because new consoles came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really frustrating. And I don't feel like, like... I feel like 2017 was the year of, let's not push anything forward, let's just redo everything that we've done. And that's uh, that's becoming more and more of a problem as consoles' uh, turnaround time is getting a little shorter. Yes, or not twenty seventeen. Sorry, twenty sixteen. I feel yeah. Like all there. all the new consoles have come out, mm-hmm. and now um the console makers are are moving towards a a kind of like a extended version. Yes. They're extending the life of their consoles by releasing higher powered versions of the previous itineration. Yeah. Rather than just doing the whole new console which, thing, which, which they kind of have to do because the reality is five year console cycles just don't make sense anymore. They no, just don't. It, in one way, you're right. They don't because <laughs> technology-wise, um, it used to be fine to be to be satisfied with the technology that you have available to right. you. Build for a console games within the year, and by the time you're ready to upgrade to the next console, right, um, you get new technology. And in some ways, I think that's that's still better. Yeah. Be- because now with every itineration, it's it's forcing people to work in a shorter cycle. Because uh, if they don't build for the latest console and build quickly, they're not going to get it out with this current version of console. And once they're in the previous console, they won't be like following the flood of But I don't, I don't necessarily know that they, that needs to happen. I mean, the reality is, like, the reality is it's three or four years into a console before, like, it is about the time that most, like, the largest, like... On a five-year cycle, maximum adoption rate is only about eight months before they phase it out for the new console. At which yeah. point, everybody's switching over. Like, give us a few, give them a few years to actually make games for the consoles that people actually have. And on top of that, even though it's not as much of a problem, and the re- the, the the upgraded hardware, two and a half to three years into the lifestyle lifetime of the console, even though I think it was even shorter. I think like the Xbox One S. Well, the Xbox. I mean, the original. Well, I mean, the Xbox Three Sixty was out. Of, was basically obsolete. Like. Two and a half years well, after it came out, I, and I, I, I kind of want to talk about that at some point. I think that obsolescence and technology is not so. Like I was surprised when I came across somebody who wrote an article about how the the Nintendo Switch being obsolete was their biggest secret, and like as if it was this big deal. And but to, it's not. I mean, like everybody who who really cares about technology and obsolescence understands the fact that the moment you buy anything, it's already obsolete. I don't know about that, but I mean, the reality is, like, the best-selling console is the one that sets a lot of those limits. I mean, the Xbox 3, in America, the Xbox 360 was the one that people built for because of the two higher adoption consoles, it was the one that most people had. So that, so it had lower specs, and that was the one that most developers developed for, unless it was an exclusive. And... You know, and that's in this era. I don't even know. I think the PC at this point is the platform that a lot of companies are actually designing towards, and the other two are 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 being sometimes. But the other, uh, I mean, yeah, it's not as much. I think play. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough question. I think Nintendo's gaining traction now that it's got a successful console, and, and we'll see a lot right, more support but I, for I, it. I don't think, but but the reality is, I mean. Downporting some of that stuff doesn't really hurt it anyway. I, and and I also but always feel like is, the PC market is a steady market. Well, right, but that, well, that's what I mean. Is it's a sl- it's a steady increase, whereas 
the play the the consoles jump up every five to ten years. Yeah. But the other thing is like we've also reached. I feel like we've reached this like alpha point where there really isn't. I mean, whatever. There are companies like Red Shark talking about eight K systems and eight K recordings, but. I think you're going to have, re- like, that is clearly being pushed from the technology side. That is clearly being pushed from the manufacturers. That is not consumers saying, hey, we really, really, really need to go, like, you know, HD just isn't good enough. 4K just isn't good enough. We need 8K. Like, that's clearly a manufacturer thing, the same way that 3D was a manufacturer. Well, now that, now that they've got 4K, they're going to push for 8K. Right. I but, mean, it's it's well, a trend. I, I, I. I under, well, I understand why the manufacturers are pushing it. I don't. I really have trouble thinking that it's going to get serious traction for at least five or ten years. Well, I mean, yeah, because the the, 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 the 4K person... adoption rate is not there yet. No. The current consoles don't actually really render at 4K right. very they, well. They render at 1080 and an up sample for a lot of them. Yeah, and, or, or or like the 2K. They they uh, some of them I think they render well at 2K, 2K and, and, and they ups, up sample. But but I mean, either way, like, and the other reality is like. I mean, my I, I'm not necessarily the, the person to talk because we we both know that I have have actual vision issues. But mm. even most people I talk to, like, yes, you can see some difference between 1080p and 4K, a little bit. But it's it is not. No, it's. Oh, we'll put it. I'll put it to you this way: mm-hmm. if you're looking, right, you will see the difference. That, that's what I mean. If, if when you're playing a game, that level of detail. Doesn't well, make that, a that's difference. what I mean. In the in the in the absolute sense, if you are paying attention, if you're really looking for it, you can tell the difference. But it is not it is not the drastic night and day difference between say SD and HD. Like, yeah. At this point, like if I see video that is SD, even if it's upsampled, you can instantly say, "Oh, that's 480p," or mm-hmm. "That's 360p," versus 720. Like even even the difference between 720 and 1080 is noticeable if you pay attention. And I'm right. sure it's probably the same between 1080p and 4K, but it's certainly not something. It is not as striking a difference as SD to HD. Yeah, and, and even then, it, it, and that's what I mean. I feel like we are reaching this. When sort you of, when you hit well, when you hit 4K, you're kind of reaching a point of maximum pixel saturation. That's exactly what I was going to say. When you once you once you get beyond that, then you are going to have even more difficulty seeing right. the detail because and, it's not it's not going to be visible to you. And, and, that's, and that's sort of what I mean is I feel like just in general, like technology, we don't need to release consoles as often because we're reaching the sort of terminus for the near term of how much graphic power you even can handle and how much graphic fidelity you actually can even handle. And I'm just going to put it out there right now. A lot of game makers have to focus more on the gameplay side yeah. and and the quality rather than just going straight for sheer numbers. I, having the having the 4K badge on your, and on I, your chest and think, doesn't help if the game looks like, like dirty mud thrown at a wall. It's though just, I will say, I feel, like, I feel like a lot of developers are starting to learn that if only, by, if only through the brute force of... People buying less of the technology. I mean, the reality is, when the HD era first started, that was striking. Like, there's a reason I bought Child of Eden for my first PlayStation 3 game, when I bought a PlayStation 3. Because that game looks amazing. Like, that is the game that sold me on HD. I I will freely admit, the first time I was sold on a PlayStation console was the PlayStation 2. Yeah. With my brother and I playing Final Fantasy X. Yeah. At Walmart and and just being absolutely amazed by exactly. the graphics, but but we, I think the we, good we, graphics 
But I think we are past that point. Now. Well, the good graphics and those flagship games with, that are like super graphically beautiful can sell games. Like yeah. as an example, um, what's that recent uh, PlayStation Four title that oh, we both? Horizon. Yeah, but Horizon see, New Dawn, right? Zero Dawn. Zero Dawn. That looks absolutely gorgeous, it and does, I but, want to play that. But game. I but I will also say like the things that sold that 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 kind of sold me on Horizon Zero Dawn. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful game, but not so but really for me it wasn't the technical stuff because it doesn't look technically that much better than say uh shadows of mordor or or assassin's creed hmm. it's also the gameplay it's artistically better the gameplay is interesting the, the 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 setting is interesting but it's it's not the technical stuff anymore it, for me it never really was the technical stuff it was if i have some cool technology i also want something to take advantage of it like child of eden but graphics are, and and, and I I know I'm an out, something of an outlier. Well, uh, but let's take take, never that, been take that out. Um, think about it more like this: Do the beautiful graphics like you just actually you said that the right. graphics will turn your head. It gets your attention, right? And then you look into the game further, right? And and, and, and I'm one of those people who has always been gameplay first. Like, yeah, pretty graphics. They you know they add to it. They're spice in a good dish, but I don't go to a game except for child of eden or games like that you know except for shmups for the graphics really um and shmups are a whole different thing um but even then it's it's very rarely the technical aspect it's usually the graphical or, or the the artistic aspect right, right. What, what, what so we we're actually going to talk about was reboot was how to make a nostalgic game that isn't just a straight up reboot and you actually had a good reference point, mm-hmm. something to use as an example of how it can be done in another form of media, that being television. Yes, I think there are there are a lot of uh, – t- two that I actually think of, and, and, and this is the one that first put me on this, is uh, Back to the Future. Because Back to the Future was a movie that came out in the mid-80s at about the time that 50s nostalgia was really, really popular. Uh, Grease is another movie that came out at about the same time. And both of those use thing, you know – Back to the Future uses time travel. Uh, Greece is just a straight up sort of pastiche to sort of make people say, "Oh, this is this is that nostalgic feeling that we had for the things that we loved about the fifties—the diners, the hot rods, the muscle cars, the leather jackets, the running around dancing, singing Go Grease Lightly Go—that everybody apparently did in the fifties." The, you know, and getting drunk and hanging out behind the bleachers. It's not like we can't do that today because we have seen success. Stranger sure. Things is... Oh, that's a perfect example. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I went into this with no idea what to go for, but the thing that hooked me from the beginning was just how much it felt like my childhood growing up exactly. in, the, in the 80s. It was beautiful. Yes, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a perfect example of, of, of a modern attempt uh, at this as, as well, yeah. So what kind of gaming examples of this can we pull from i think there are already people who are sort of doing some of this but not necessarily in the way that i think would be it is necessarily the way that i want to not necessarily in the in 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 the way that i'm thinking which is you know we have games like fez and we have games like um you know there there are a lot of those games that do the sort of pixel art pixel graphic or, or pixel art pixel music chip tunes well that was a thing (laughs) 
All right. So where were we with this? We were talking. Uh, so we're getting back uh, away from what we were talking about before. We kind of got distracted by technology advances. Yeah, we'll see if we even, we'll see if that even gets left in, and how much of that we can salvage. Um, so we should be able to salvage most of it. We that, do that want, part I'm not worried about. Um, we do want to talk about how uh, nostalgia has been um, motivating a major movement for reboots right. today, and I think that's. I personally think in some ways it's really good, but it seems to be oversaturating the market. And I think we're going to end up with kind of like a reboot crash. It, it, it is oversaturating the market, but there's also the other question of like, even, even some of the stuff that's just like homage. I, I do wonder if, if even that, some of that stuff is starting to like, is, is there enough that doesn't necessarily do it well? And is there enough that, that is just sort of, so much is steeped in that right now. I feel like it's sort of this weird, like sort of other other side of the coin of hips of hipsterism. Um, and 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 part of me does actually wonder if that's if if that's sort of a thing where we get the where where you get this sort of people who are kind of obsessed with uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Obsessed with taking and sort of playing with old culture in ways that don't necessarily make sense anymore. Uh, in the same ways that, you know, you have hipsters out there who ride around on penny farthings, despite the fact that that is so displaced from time or even context. Um, and and there, there's some of that that we see even in things like some of the modern day reboot stuff where we get games that are chip tunes with images that don't, that, don't necessarily line up with the era that those sorts of chiptunes would come from. So you're talking about like uh, that the games that try to look like 16-bit or 8-bit era graphics, but, but they're but they're more like they're fake. They're they're it, they're almost like 20. They're almost like 24-bit graphics. They're like yeah. one and a half. Like and 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 that's sort of what I mean when we were talking about like the Stranger Things and, and Greece and Back to the Future is. I don't think you necessarily have to be a hundred percent beholden to the era, but it should like, and obviously those games that are doing that are feel many of them feel loving. Some of them feel like complete, just cynical uh, exploitation, but, but a lot of them feel like they're doing this out of this love for that period. But I'm not necessarily sure that the, that just the graphics and the audio is what makes this work. Because I think the reality is a lot of people have already, done that and i think people are actually starting to get fatigue like people are starting to get chiptune fatigue and they're starting to get 16-bit fatigue so I, I i sort of feel like more we have to capture the spirit of the era in the same way that i think i think two perfect games that do do what i was sort of looking for hey <laughs> you said do do i did uh, <laughs> and, and and one of them is is a reboot of sorts i guess but uh, pac-man championship dx yeah and far cry 3 blood dragon Okay, I, I could see that. So yeah. Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon basically takes all of the things that we think of when we think 80s. You know, neon lights, the weird rendering things, the whole world kind of looking like the Terminator. Giant T-Rexes. Giant T-Rexes, weird eye, laser eye beams, and sort of puts all of that into a game. Mm-hmm. And I think Pac-Man Championship DX sort of approaches it from the other side, which is let's take Pac-Man and let's make it crazy. Let's do all the, let's add all of the things that we have now, like modern video game sensibilities, to the game that everybody loves. I can see that that doesn't make sense. And sense. Pac-Man Championship, like if you have not played Pac-Man Championship DX, it is awesome. It's also really really hard, but it is awesome game. I'll have to check that out. Um, I was thinking of also, and uh, we were talking about this, a lot of uh, arcade nostalgia as mm. well. 
Um, again, there's a lot of reboots out there, which I, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, mm-hmm. but I think especially the fighting game community. Although I think fighting game community people would tell me, uh, "Shut up, we only just got this back. Like, leave us alone." Yeah. But, um. I I'm also thinking of like, uh, what was that game? Oh, good grief! It was like a D and D clone. Oh, uh, Shadows of Mistara. Uh, yeah, sure, we'll go with. It. Or uh, Gauntlet. Gauntlet. That oh, Gauntlet okay. was the one I was talking about, but Shadows of the Mistara as well. Um, they have both recently, within the past couple of years, gotten remakes. Yeah. The Gauntlet remake was not really Gauntlet, and though. that's a good example of kind of like banking on nostalgia in a, in a bad Absolutely. Story. Although I will say that there is a game that came out that I'm not, I'm not going to say is great, but does do Gauntlet pretty well, which is Hammerwatch. Oh, Hammerwatch is actually pretty good. And, and, and that's sort of what I think we should look at when we're talking about sort of hearkening back to these things, is, is, is things like... You know, Hammerwatch taking ideas from that era and sort of toying with them. What what made Hammerwatch good in that is it grabbed the feel yes. of an old arcade classic mm-hmm. and brought um, in modern sensibilities and brought in modern sensibilities and balanced it. I think balance is the important. Balance thing. is very important because if you just if you're just doing a, a straight faithful clone of the game, there's no point in playing it because mm-hmm. you can just play the previous. I mean, sure, some people do. Uh, re-releases of games, but that's a re-release. Right. That's understood. But somebody who's trying to make something that's a a faithful ad- adaptation, like ha- Hammer Watches, right? They're not remaking the franchise. They're just remaking the feel, and th- mm-hmm. I think that's a very good way to approach that. Actually, uh, Hammer Watch is a very good example of that. I agree. So I think that that like f- I think what I think most about the that era, it's arcades. Yes. Neon. Neon arcades. Neon and arcades. Tron. Mm, I don't think of Tron. Well, I've um, never seen Tron. You've never seen Tron? I've never seen Tron. Either of them? No. I have a VHS copy. I don't have a VHS, but I have a VHS copy. With the understanding of the technology that they had in the day, it's amazing. It's top notch. That's fair. But it does not stand up to modern technology. See, I was going to say Ninja Turtles. Oh my goodness, Ninja Turtles. (laughs) You're right. Ninja Turtles definitely... And and, I mean, that's and, when, and and we're talking like like I I think we're talking late eighties early nineties. Now, if you want to talk about, from my opinion, and mm-hmm. this is my opinion, if you want to talk about two different franchises that were great in the eighties, mm-hmm. where one was was faithfully recreated, i.e., the new Tron, the newer Tron movie, which I think was amazing, yeah, and then another one that was regularly butchered for its meat, like poor turtles that are now getting going the yeah. way of the dodo. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles and Tron are perfect I, examples I will of say, the, either. The first Ninja Turtles movie was actually holds up. was was legitimately a good movie. Um, like I guess that falls to the thing because the the first remake Tron movie was legitimately good. And let's see what they do the next time they try to remake it. it. Right, but but everything since then has been pretty bad. Like like I kind of like I liked the animated cartoon series when I was a kid, but for me it was mostly the action figures. But the first movie was good, like was a legitimately good, like not even comic book good, just a good movie. It was about you know dealing with you know being thrown out of your house and having people being on the run and like it was it was a you know it's not a great movie. It's not the Godfather, but it, but it was a it was a decent you know seven eight eight out of ten movie. The later movies, Turtles in Time and Secret of the Ooze, are garbage and they do not hold up. Um, and and modern remakes of the Ninja Turtles and modern Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games are awful right. but the first the arcade turtles beat up was an amazing game 
Oh, you know, I, I know. I agree with that. I played very little of it, but mm-hmm. I do know that as far as those beat-em-up style games go, that was it one, is of, the one of the best. And it, it is it is a great game. And I would say for like if, if you're if you want to talk about the three games that I think of most from that arcade era, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Smash TV. Simpsons. Well, I think Simpsons and, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are the same was around game. in the eighties. No, but but early nineties, like yeah. just that sort of late late eighties, early nineties. Although I think that the Ninja Turtles and Simpsons are basically the same game. It was. It was I think a case could be made for that. But uh, I was being facetious. Oh, okay. I I, I agree with you, but I, I meant uh, it's it, a it, popular game, and I'm, I like laughing at it because it's Simpsons. It's got a sense of humor. Yes, it's 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 a fun game. Um, I I was actually going to say Frogger. I don't Frogger. know why, but for some reason, Frogger is the is the third game that sticks out to me. Honestly, that the the few times that I've seen, like there are actual Frogger arcades that are new modern remakes of yep. that, that I've seen. And in fact, I believe that there is Frogger is not hard to at do. At least a Frogger game on the PC. I think you can get on Steam. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I don't think they translate well when you put no. them into three D and stuff. It's just it just it turns into a bunch of clutter. We we also had a which... ru- we also had a Russian attack at my uh, a Russian attack and an aliens at my local like grocery store. Yeah, which is weird. Like thinking back, that there was just yeah, there was just an arcade cabinet sitting out in front of the grocery store. Oh, do you know actually what game uh, I have a lot of nostalgic memory mm-hmm. primarily because it was actually available on my computer? Mm-hmm. Uh, Missile Command. Missile Command. That was a great game. Yep. And uh, I was also... Oh, shoot. I just lost it. I just had it there a second ago. Metal Slug. Oh, Which I know was a little bit later, but, like, that's that's the other game I think of as, like, that arcade... Like, when I think arcade games, it's, it's Ninja Turtles, Smash TV, Metal Slug, and Frogger. Yeah. So, uh, before we get on to the actual... The meat of this and talking about what we would want to do for our kind of nostalgia mm-hmm. games, what about nostalgia for our era? We are kind of, sort of late 80s children yes but we kind of grew up more in the 90s yeah i was gonna say early 90s so what kind of things would would fall into the category of nostalgia for us uh pokemon a bit yeah i mean the problem is like you know beekman's world bill's bill nye oh you know that's true but the reality is like the new bill nye has kind of ruined all of my fond memories of old bill nye for me a lot of the problem is that uh, i grew up in a kind of a rural area so we were a few years behind like, I remember we didn't find out about Nirvana till like, 1997, at which point Kurt Cobain was already dead. So, <sighs> you know, we, we, we were a few years behind. And then, you know, when I when I met you, I think, like, if you want to talk about the stuff that you and I, as as as, a, as friends, have nostalgia for, it's probably Descent. Descent. I was about to say yeah. Descent. Descent. Yeah. Moo. Masters of Orion. Masters of Orion. Pizza. <clears throat> Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're horrible. I know. Pepperoni. Pepperonis. Uh, I was going to say, I, I'd say it would be Descent. Uh, Link to the Past. Uh huh. I remember Link to the Past. Uh, Homeworld. Uh huh. Dungeon Siege. Yeah, there's a bit of that. I think we played a bunch of that together and Wipeout. Oh, Wipeout. Yeah. And Gundam not Wing. to be con- not not the Wipeout. That's the TV show with the people. No, no, the the, the actual Wipeout. The racing real game. Wipeout. Mm. Yeah. So I I I think those would probably be ours. Um, which I think those are actually sort of easier to manufacture. I mean, actually, most of those have already been for, released for us. I mean, we're getting into the generation where where we could consider some nostalgia games based on that. Um, Wipeout is something that exists. Yeah, and we already did an episode about that. uh, That is something I I just want to put a shout out to. Those style of games, I'd like to see more. I would too, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I say what you do is, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Dungeon Siege Siege style games starring the Ninja Turtles. That could be pretty good that would be pretty i mean you've already got the built-in on i mean 
Now this is weird because we're 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 remixing things that we remember from the late '90s with the things we remember from the early '90s. Now this is getting all all bizarre, but mm-hmm. that like the problem is the '90s is a decade, almost feel like two separate decades. But in some ways, though, it was it was almost split by like 1994 uh, is right where I feel like like gangster rap is right where I feel like it's like Tupac's death. Like Tupac and and and, and Kurt Cobain, like that, I feel is like the split. Mm-hmm. Like when people started wearing grunge and work boots, um, or 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 flannel and work boots, is, is about the time that everything sort of split. But then again, that was also about the time I turned twelve and started going to middle school, so that could have something to do with it. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I don't know that. Like that, that was the first thing that occurred to me was a dungeon style, a dungeon siege or Diablo style game starring the Ninja Turtles, um, but you play all four of them at once. More strategy, turn-based? A little more. Well, no, no, no. I, th- I think play it like Dungeon Siege. I mean, Dungeon Siege was real time. Oh, no, no, you're right. Where, where you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you more maybe directly control one character and you use commands to... Yeah, yeah sort yeah. of like that. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you got to do some sort of a, ba- a platformer beat-em-up type thing. Like, mm. that is, like, that is the... That is the thing from my childhood. Um, unfortunately, I think in my area... Um, we are in a renaissance of Homeworld. Yeah. We, we've seen the remastered, which is a, a reboot. And right. then we've got uh, Deserts of Carrick, which is a beautiful pastiche, I, I think, <coughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, that would be my, my nostalgia dream has already been fulfilled. And I don't think they're going to stop. I think they're going to keep making although, games out of this although series if you, if you, because it's, it's beautiful. It's although if you want to talk about like cynical reboots, like plastering Homeworld on the front of Deserts of Carrick is pretty doggone cynical. How do you mean? I mean, that game could totally have just been Deserts of Karak if Homeworld was not already an existing, probably likely to get a better sales brand. Uh, no, if you know the backstory behind that, you get an understanding that that was not the case. Like, I, I, I see where because, you're coming. Because the guys who designed Shipbreakers right. were people who were, either, they were part of the original okay. team. And not only that, but they were also fans of the game. And they wanted to make a spiritual successor. So Shipbreakers from the beginning... Okay was supposed to be a homeworld game. They uh, right, just they fair. couldn't they I was just gonna say I, I have we have definitely seen that happen before where oh, yeah. unrelated the, sequel becomes actually it's it's kind of an awesome story when you when you hear about yeah. it because the guys who were working on at the time Shipbreakers, which became Deserts of Carrick, mm-hmm. um they actually got in touch with the guys behind who bought the Homeworld franchise after uh mm-hmm. what is it, id Software? No it, it wasn't no, um, uh, Relic. Rockstar. Relic. Or Relic, right. When Relic went belly up, um, I think it was, was it Blackbird Interactive? Uh, a company bought bought all that. Yeah. No, it was... Um, THQ. No, it wasn't THQ. Oh, no, THQ was the one who went belly up. Yeah, which they could They, they had. sold it off. At one point, they wound up with Nordic Games. Yeah, well, the company that bought it yeah. um, ran into that the guys is... that were working on, on Shipbreakers. And they just got to talking. And they're like, hey... You know, they were like, we originally wanted to do this as a homeworld, but we couldn't because we didn't have any licensing. Right. And then they approached him and were like, would you like this to be a homeworld game? And they pulled them and they started working on the game. And it's yep. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I'm really happy that it happened because it's actually what the guys originally wanted it to be. Nice. We've answered it before, but I do. Th- I, I will say, like, in some ways, I feel like Fez is is sort of the kind of game we are talking about. Although on the other hand, like Fez is made by the most hipster human being I've ever seen. Well, so yes, but I feel um, like that that sort of tracks. Setting setting that nonsense aside, you know what it kind of makes me think of in what? some ways, the the feeling, not the actual like 
background, but the feeling of the Goonies as yeah. as like the, the people where where you're you're exploring a mystery and it's a bit of an adventure mm. too. Just that idea of solving puzzles and 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 the the flavor of the world that you're exploring kind of makes me think of Goonies in that whole just like strange and unusual. True. And yeah, pulling I, you out of your own world. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, the fact that it feels so much like a, a an homage probably explain is probably partially explained by Phil Fish being a complete uh, total piece of hipster. Um, <laughs> complete total piece of that's a kind way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, actually, you're talking about uh, the Goonies also makes me think of uh, Don Bluth, which I know is not technically related, but in so, in a lot of ways feels to me like. Like, Don Bluth movies are the ones that I remember. And we've talked before about Don Bluth with, like, Hollow Knight, mm-hmm. uh, the way that Hollow Knight feels like. But, like, I feel like a Don Bluth-style platformer, which I guess Hollow Knight already is one. But, like, I feel like that sort of melding some of that with, like, old-school brawlers. Like, uh-huh. would really feel, like, I was really thinking, like, The Secret of Nim. Like, for me, that is uh-huh. the Don Bluth, like, the best Don Bluth movie. There was There was some other Don Bluth movie I was trying to think of that... I also think of as being like prime Don Bluth. Um, but I like after that, he got into like Pebble and Penguin and Rocket Doodle and all of those are garbage. But like <laughs> early, early Don Bluth movies like like Secret of Nim are are really good and really well drawn. And I think like, I mean, I guess at this point it's basically Hollow Knight, but I think you could totally make a great like Secret of Nim action platformer that probably would play a lot like Dust or something. He was involved in the land before. Time. He was actually an li- American tale. That's American tale. That's what I, yes, that's the one. Five old American tale. He was involved in Titan AE, I guess. Yeah. Titan AE is a good movie, but not because of the animation. No, Titan AE is a good movie because it had a very interesting, uh, that's actually another one that's kind of nostalgic. Yeah. Even though I. Nostalgia for being like 22. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah. Cause I can't, I mean, that came out when I was in, well, I was just probably 18. That came out when I was in high school. I know. Man, am I old? Um, no, but actually, like Land Before Time, like or or Amer, you know what it would be? An American Tale game that plays kind of like the old Chippendale game, or the old, uh, oh, yeah, uh, or the that. old um, uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck game, or the Ducktales games. And we've all already seen the success of a good hand-drawn animation. Yes, because I mean, and and again, this, this is this is an homage, so it wouldn't be directly just a Secret of Nim game, but but a game that feels like that, that Get, has, plays like some of those. Has a style of illustration, yeah. and, and maybe even a, a, an adventure game. We haven't seen a good adventure game in a while. We've seen reboots of adventure yeah. games. I was going to say, well, isn't, I've heard Thimbleweed Park is okay. The what? Thimbleweed Park or whatever it is. The new uh, Ron Gilbert game. I haven't even heard of that. Uh, it came out like last year i think it, everybody really liked it except for the twist i think it's called just thimbleweed park ju- just for all of you out there who are wondering about us we we are not professionals we do not play every game out there thimbleweed park uh came out march 30th 2017 made by ron gilbert of maniac mansion maniac mansion and i mean that was what he was trying to do was sort of redo uh the maniac mansion feel that's kind of like like in in the area of what we were looking for. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. I'd kinda... say that's exactly what we're, we're we're looking for. But yeah, I mean now now I feel like we we've sort of gone from homage to like actually sort of mashing two things together, which in some ways is actually probably exactly what we would actually want because it sort of combines things that are nostalgic with things that haven't been done yet, right. like new IPs with fun. Like I don't know, I probably would play a American Tale platformer action platformer like that would be awesome yeah the other thing that i would like to see 
is, and I don't want to say a Stranger Things game, but mm. a game that portrays the feeling of being a kid in the 80s. Yeah. Um, an adventure style Not game. Not Gone Home? Not Gone Home. I mean, that game is basically about walking through an old house full of things from the 80s. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. It was like that's that's not what I was. No, I, no. I'm looking for. I'm I'm talking about like a full fledged adventure with a decent story. I, I would love to see something new and original mm-hmm. in that regard. That that reflects being a kid in the 80s. I think you could totally do that, and and I mean, kind of like Thimbleweed Park. I think you could even go back to that um, homage to like. Like probably, I would say like Monkey Island style graphics, or maybe Maniac Mansion. But I, I was even, I would say Monkey, Monkey Island style graphics mm-hmm. about a kid who's let's say thirteen or fourteen. He builds a tree fort. While building the tree, while he's up in his tree fort, he overhears two people planning to rob a uh, rob a building, rob a bank, mm-hmm. and then from there things get out of hand. Like that feels like a very eighties movie. Ah, and you could you could even play with that whole that whole uh, idea of well the police aren't going to help me so I'm going to have to deal with it myself exactly and which is something that a you know a thirteen year old boy isn't going to actually be able to exactly and, and but f- that's very age and he forms the junior investigator squad but then like but then the other thing you could do is you could also make it like you could also take all the things we know about those eighty eighties mo- movies that have been played on for the last thirty years and make twists out of them like. The bank robbers aren't actually robbing the bank. They're actually just janitors or something. Uh, Do you know uh, what just clicked in my head that this is funny because this is a a movie that was actually made in the era. And it's very nostalgic for the era, even though I don't think I really ever watched it as a kid. What? Labyrinth. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That's very – I could (laughs) – That's very 80s. I could see – Let's they made that. a labyrinth game. Let's let's I do point that out. with the whole treehouse and the robbery, and then he just falls through a hole in space time. Oh, that would up be in perfect. Some weird world, but it would have to be something unique and interesting and different. I feel like labyrinth is pretty unique and interesting and different. That is true. I mean, if if I mean, it, let's let's it is unique and interesting and different without being that far off from Wizard of Oz. And that's the thing about it. I mean. Labyrinth is a good example of somebody taking tropes yeah. and turning them just right so that they're not quite the same as most people expect. Isn't, isn't it amazing that once upon a time, Lucas and, and uh, Spielberg could actually do amazing things when they actually cared and tried? Yeah, I know. That's kind of sad. Um, and then money got in the way. And then money got in the way. Well, money and kids. Money and kids, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of their movies, you know, E.T. I mean, stra- in, in a lot of ways, Stranger Things basically is just E.T. No, no. Well, not just E.T., but no, I mean, it, I, it I is It is pulling, it is, like, if you want to talk about the touchstone when you talk about Stranger Things, it's E.T., like, even just down to the logo of the screen, like, the logo of the artwork for the, the really? fake movie poster, like, is just makes me think, I mean, it's three kids on a bicycle with a lump in the front basket, like, that immediately made me say, oh, that's what they're going for, because E.T. Uh, is such true. shorthand for that, just that time and place. The whole- that that was definitely something where they were pulling from with Stranger Things. That whole idea of running around your yeah. your neighborhood, getting up to to whatever nonsense, and no one caring that you're just a bunch of kids riding around on a bike, I, which is something you couldn't do today. I a mean, group if, of kids riding on on a bicycle is immediately a reason to be calling people like, "Do you know where your kids are?" Right. Well, I mean, I yeah, I mean that's that's the whole that's the whole other thing from that era is like kids were wandering around, getting into, into mischief, not being watched all the time. I mean, I would say that for me, like the three movies from that era that really 
play a huge, huge point in my mind are, um, you know, like you said, um, E.T., or like I said, E.T., mm-hmm. um, Goonies, although I didn't actually watch the Goonies until much, much later, but uh, a never-ending story. Right. Oh, like never-ending never story. story is that never-ending story gave me oh. nightmares. No, never-ending t- story two gave me and, nightmares. And this is the actually first one wasn't that. And good. this is actually this is I mean this is technically a late seventies movie, but actually I think instead of the Goonies, it would actually probably be Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, uh, the original. Gene the original Wilder. Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a mid seventies movie, but like that's the movie that, that one was it is class and, and probably cool runnings, but that's a whole different <laughs> different. Thing. That's a whole different reason. Yes. Um. But no, like those. I mean, and, and if you want to pull the things that people really, I think, remember from those movies, it's kids left on left to their own devices, getting into mischief, and then finding their way into other worlds, other things that aren't really real. And yeah. I think, like, if you combine that with, I mean, actually, here's a perfect game that does something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, I forget the name. Blaster Master. Like you could do a game that feels like an old school blaster master with that, with something like stranger things. Yeah. You could do that because like stranger or like blaster master is all about falling into these hole. Like you fall into this hole looking for your missing pet frog. You meet up with that. That starts. Yeah. You meet up, you meet this walking, talking tank or this, this this intelligent tank Mm -hmm. and roll around. And then you have to get out every so often and, and fight bosses. Yeah. And like I feel like that's like perfect for something like a Stranger Things or, or or something in that that idea at any rate of you know it's a lot of exploration, some fighting, and you're just lost in the middle of nowhere, kind of like your your labyrinth idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that idea of like uh, coming across a world that's greater. Because I think what that touches on as well is the uh, the a child's imagination mm. and how often we and got how powerful out there. that is. Yeah, and how often we got out there and just. And, imagined our own worlds i mean you could also do like like another thing you could do is sort of a survival horror type game where you're just lost in the woods mm. at night you could do something like you that. you could do something like that and it, it wouldn't even need to be like as intense as a lot of those survival horror games out there because you know when you're eight years old i mean heck stand by me is about four kids going out to find a dead body like you don't need lots and lots of monsters. Like four kids going to b- find a dead body was enough for an entire movie back in the eighties. Right nowadays, like they need to get into fights and there'd be all sorts of action. They and... they need to be four kids going out to make a dead body. Right, or no, it'd be four kids going out to find a dead body that then turns out to wind up saving the universe after they find it. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. they always take it too far. But 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 I mean, if if that was sort of what the, the the game was about, was you and four of your friends just going out into the woods because like one of you is an abusive father, and one of them is drunk, and he brings some booze with you. I mean, that's how like a lot of those movies started. So one kid has an abusive dad, and another kid's bad at school, in trouble at school, and the third kid's kind of a geek, so he hangs around with them because they because he doesn't have anybody else who will put up with him, and the fourth kid's probably fat because that's how that always shook out. Um. <laughs> And they just go off into the woods and have adventures, right? Okay, so I think I think we've kind of covered this fully. A, a lot of what we've gotten here isn't specific games. No, um, but it's... We've, we've bounced around a couple of ideas. But it's the idea of if you're going to make, if you're going to take advantage of nostalgia in gaming, you have to be intelligent about it. Be intelligent about it, and just don't feel like pander. Like we, we've talked about this several times. Like pandering is okay. Obvious pandering is not okay. No. Um, like, it should. you should feel clever if you get the reference. It shouldn't if, just be overt. And, and more than that as well, 
if you don't if if what you're writing doesn't actually speak to you yeah as as a child of whatever you're pulling from then you should not be the one making this game right and, and it should be by somebody who is actually has nostalgia for what they're working on because there's no passion there then it'll fall on its face and the other thing we're asking is we don't ne- i don't necessarily mind i mean we even some of the ones we brought up today i don't necessarily mind pulling shout outs to or even directly lifting things like ninja turtles or don bluth movies or whatever just remaking the exact same game again and again, the exact reboot, the exact remakes, the re-releases are getting tiresome. Like there are other ways to harken back to the games that I loved 15 years ago without just remaking and re-releasing the games that I loved 15 years ago. Yeah, that's how we ended up with Moo 3. I have, well, no, I mean, that's not, that's a reboot. That's not even a remake. I'm talking like Beyond Good and Evil HD, uh, Red Dead Redemption HD, which is a game that came out in 2010. Actually, actually the the new Beyond Good and Evil is supposed to have a completely new storyline. That could be good. Well, I'm talking about the re-release, the the HD re-release. I don't know about the new Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, Was that the one that came out a few years back? Yeah, the one that came out like four years ago. Yeah, yeah, Um, I don't... And and it's good, like, Beyond Good and Evil is a great game. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's also, you know, it's also a game that, most many people have played, you know, like the re-releases of Deus Ex, I mean, whatever. Even the remakes of DS, De- uh, the reboots of Deus Ex, I don't care about because I don't like Deus Ex. But that's neither, you know, that's a slightly different conversation. <laughs> but like, it, it does. It just feels like all the things that are coming out now are just like, let's remake this, let's reboot this. Like, especially anything in the big, like Tomb Raider, Sim City, Sims, Red Dead. Grand Theft Auto, like just go down the list of all the popular games of the last decade. People are still making something in that vein, probably with the same title. Do something new. Mm. Ah, SimCity. Or That's... do something moo. <laughs> do something moo. That you heard it from Josh. Do something moo. And with that, I suppose I will move on to the mouthwash. Bully, 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 bully. <laughs> And welcome back to the mouthwash, where we spit fiery hot truths like Bose, like like Bose, <laughs> like Bose audio, ra- Bose wave radio systems, um, uh, being set on fire and checked out of the back of a El Camino. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Neither do I. Like like Bose race, like Bose wave radio systems being set on fire and pushed off the back of an El Camino. Today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite. Least favorite, favorite, least favorite, one of those topics, uh, grand strategy games. Uh, primarily, I suspect it'll it'll mainly hinge around a lot of the Paradox uh, games, which... Which are your favorite games, and at the same time, not your favorite My games. least favorite games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's start, with the, let's start with the one that I know is going to get me the most flame wars for even bringing up, Hearts of Iron 3, which is a terrible uh, strategy game, and let's move on. Uh, so Europa Universalis, Crusader Kings 2, <laughs> and Stellaris. And and not Hearts of Iron three. Hearts of Iron three is garbage. It it actually frustrates me because because a lot of people I think I think up until Hearts of Iron four, which I have not played and will not play, um, everybody said Hearts of Iron three is the best paradox game. It lets you play out World War two in real time. Blah 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 blah. It's the most complicated, most complex, most realistic. 
I understand the appeal of a grand strategy game with immense amounts of detail, but there's a line to be drawn. There's if your drawn. argument is it's the most complex strategy game out there, it is not an argument in the game's favor. It's also not true. I would say that Gary Grigsby's War in the East is significantly more complex uh, than Hearts of Iron 3. It just take, It's turn-based instead of semi-real-time. I also would say that for a game that is so complex and complicated, I managed to win World War II in 1990, in 1930, or 1939. Um, Didn't World War II start Spain. at 45? No, it ended in 45. It started in, in late 39, early 40. Ah. Uh, so basically, I was playing as Revolutionary Spain, uh, or not Revolutionary Spain. I was, I was playing as uh, Republican Spain. I conquered the uh, rebels, joined, set myself to join up with the allies, because technically we were fascist at the time. So we joined up with the allies, which was not supposed to happen. We went to reinforce France just as uh, Germany was pushing into northern France, pushed the Germans back, and basically stalled the uh, French offensive middle of night like late 1939 early 1940 so half a year, like two years out from d-day and germany's already basically being pushed you know it was basically pushed halfway back to berlin um we, we were basically sieging czechoslovakia era not czechoslovakia whatever's north of uh whatever holland uh, whatever's whatever's in the holland area and like our biggest our biggest uh difficulty was with italy and at that point i said you know what i think i'm done with this game <laughs> like technically i could keep going for the next four years and we could fight it out and see what actually happens like i'm sure that at some point germany gets more material and i am technically playing as spain which means at some point they will probably push back but i only have to hold out for a year before the you know before america theoretically comes into the war so but the question is will they well, i mean i assume that japan is still involved I suppose, yeah. I mean, I it, it might not have, but at some point, I was just like, regardless of was, I have on, way too much being pushed. I am pushing way too many counters around my border. You know, my border is large and fairly porous, which I guess means I was, you know, you, you could argue means I wasn't playing particularly well. But like, I hadn't even read the manual at this point. I was literally just moving counters around. Well, how, what would you say for the accuracy of the game, uh, the game simulation, as far as like how things respond? Does it Respond in a way you would expect. I found, or do you think I'm not very good at war games? And I found the AI to be pretty weak. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm bad at like, and I'm bad at war games. So I would say the AI is probably not great, and it's really hard for me to believe. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people say I also was not playing it on the hardest difficulty settings, so there is that. Right. Um, but the reality is, I don't necessarily feel the desire to play it on the hardest difficulty setting. Like, that's really not what I come to Paradox Games for, is to be, like, super challenged You constantly. have Toho when you want to shove bamboo shoots up your fingers. Well, it's not even that. It's, it's, it's a totally different kind of challenge. Yeah. Um, but it's that's also true. just, like, like that's not what I come to, to, like, that's not even what I come to that kind of strategy game for. Like, if I want that kind of challenge, I'll go to, like, XCOM or something. Like, right. like I come to Paradox Games to play around. Like, Paradox Games, for me, are about the sandbox nature. It was... You know, Let's once see it, what happens when I do this. Once well, I, that was my question. Is, is Once I was able to get fascist Spain to join the Allies, I was done with that game. Because that was all... Like, once I was able to prevent the French 
uh, you know, prevent Germany from taking over France, I was done with that game because that's all I wanted to know if I could do is, oh, yep, we managed to stall the German offensive and before they could even take over France. France, is, France never lost, which means D-Day never needed to happen. Yeah, because they um, had a safe landing Because they had a safe landing zone. Um, yeah, I mean, that would, like, at that point, that makes retaking super easy. Um, I mean, obviously, most of Germany was tied up with the Soviet Union, but pushing them back far enough to, you know, basically to Berlin means they would have had to start rerouting troops eventually anyway. So, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, you know, we were conquering factories, like, that's going to slow the materiel down. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. A lot of people think Hearts of Iron is awesome, partially because of how much control you have over, I mean, like, you could drill down into the individual, you could drill down into which headquarters is directing which tank brigade. Right. I don't care. <laughs> I don't particularly care about that in Gary Grigsby game, and that's basically what that whole game is about. Like in a heart in a Hearts of Iron game, in a paradox sized game, I should probably I should probably back up a little bit and explain that paradox games in general are these large games that take place on basically an entire world map, or at least a large chunk of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they play about they're basically play out like turn based games, but in real time, but they're possible real time, and you're dealing with you know you're dealing with things brigade level and larger. Like you're not dealing with individual squads of units, even no, in Hearts yeah. of Iron. You, you pretty much, uh, you're gathering an army, putting it under a general, sending yeah. it out to do something. I, th- I think it's, I think it's either brigades or companies in Hearts of Iron, which is still really like way smaller. Like that should be uh, like divisions. I think would probably be where you're, where you'd be wanting to look like you're, you're, you're even, even in Hearts of Iron, you're, you're almost too close. Like you, you almost want to be one level higher up. Uh-huh. of abstraction but it is like you can get down and drill into well you know what we're going to deploy the m m1311 instead of the m131a okay i don't know what difference it makes <laughs> like i mean that theoretically kills about three more people per engagement but you know what most of my engagements i'm taking out 30 you know 30 000, you know three thousand to four thousand people so an extra three doesn't really tell the scales in my favor that much no not really so, you know, there's all this, and, and, and I think that's a problem with several of the, the Paradox Games. Victoria is another one where there is all this intense, detailed level of micro, micro, micro um, playing around to basically no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Victoria is insane where it's like, I can, dr- I can go down into a, an individual province and tell them that they should start creating start planting barley instead of wheat. I don't know why, but I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I could say, well, you know what? Rather than 3,221 laborers, I think we should have 3,240 laborers. It doesn't make that much of a difference in the global scale, but I can do it. And that's a lot of my issues with, I think, sort of like Victoria 2 and, and Hearts of Iron 3, I should say, are pre... I forget what engine they're on. They're pre Clausewitz engine. Uh, Clausewitz is the one that they used for... Crusader Kings 2, Europa Universalis 4, um, Stellaris, and Hearts of Iron 4. And like I said, I've heard Hearts of Iron 4 is better than Hearts of Iron 3, but I just didn't like Hearts of Iron 3 enough to care. And I know that for a lot of people, that is the flagship franchise. Like, that's the one that everybody loves. But but you can't help asking, why? Right. It's like, there are better World War... Like, there are better World War II games and there are better grand strategy games. So you could say it is the best... World War II grand strategy, real-time grand strategy game, but that's like saying that 
Masters of Orion 3 is the best Atari-made uh, space strategy turn-based game. I mean, it's true, but it doesn't really mean much. Yeah, because there are better Atari games, and there are better Grand Star And there are better Masters of Orion games. But nothing that, that meets these two genres. Right, the but, way nothing, but nothing. But yeah, but yeah. But, I mean, Moo 3 is not a good game. Arts of Iron 3, I would say, is not a great game. In its very, very limited genre, it is the best one out there. But its very, very limited genre is not particularly enjoyable. Mm. Um, however, I love Crusader Kings 2. And I kind of like European Universalis, even though I'm terrible at it. <laughs> so, I have... Um, when we're talking about the Paradox games, I yes. don't have much experience with them. I have played Crusader Kings, mm-hmm. and I can see the appeal, um, though... It's I think Crusader not... Kings is the one that really broke Paradox big. Yeah. Like, I I would say that it, it happened to hit right about the time that Game of Thrones happened, and I think there was a lot of overlap between those audiences, um, because Crusader Kings kind of is a lot of... Like, has a lot of the stuff that makes Game of Thrones interesting, the intrigue, the mm-hmm. court craziness, the murdering your relatives in cold blood in the middle of a feast there, there's something to be said about the way that this game um handles its strategy because it's not just like pushing units around yeah. the board there is a lot more internal government stuff that can happen and it tracks every single character at, at some point the board almost be it's it's a lot like eve at some point the map itself almost becomes secondary the actual important stuff is the tree, is the family trees and the webs and the networks. I mean, you occasionally have to go out to the map to wage wars, but a lot of times you're looking at family histories and all sorts of weird stuff. Less so now, actually. I think the the further, the more expansion packs have happened, and the more that they've had to patch some things because you know the big my biggest problem with with paradox games is. They have to patch them a lot because people find big exploits. People are really good at, because they are such system heavy games. And they have a lot of complex systems. And a lot of complex systems that interact in really weird ways. Some people are really, really good at finding ways to exploit those systems mm-hmm. and do things that they were never intended to do. Like the guy who made a horse uh, the ruler of their country. <laughs> um, you know, and. and hey, pe- that's Nero. Yes. Um. But I mean, there, there were also, you know, there was at one point, there was some sort of glitch that involved like, I mean, at one point, like they had to phase out, like being able to basically send all your children, send all the children who weren't inheriting and forcing them to take up the monastery positions because a really easy thing to do was to set Gavelkind, which basically meant that each of your children got part of your land and then just send all of the kids who weren't your, your, the heir that you wanted uh, to join uh, the monasteries because then they couldn't actually inherit anything. So you could just basically pick which of your children you wanted to inherit everything. And that, that, that type of thing actually sounds like something that someone would do back in the day. though. I know, but the problem is that it's really easy to game that really well. And, you know, i did it. You know, I took over an entire kingdom basically doing that. Like I merged three families together through, through weird marriage stuff. And then that, that third generation had two sons. And if, one of them inherited, he would have unified basically three kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And then we had a second son. So I said, well, all right, kid, you're joining them. You're joining the monastery. <laughs> um, and actually I said, you know, and, and, and what actually a lot of people prefer to do even more so than territory is a lot of people try, basically you were using it as a form of eugenics. 
so that they could pick which of their children they wanted to inherit. By their stats. By their stats. So they, that that they pretty quickly phased out by basically saying your oldest child cannot be sent to join them to be joined to join a monastery. I mean, that was a pretty easy phase out for part of it. But I mean, like the more systems they add, the more of this stuff tends to get exploited. Like it used to be fairly easy to siege a town. Now it takes forever. Like they just, there have been a lot of weird changes over the years. Um, and that's sort of my biggest problem with paradox is sometimes it does feel like if you are not one of those people who really just wants to dig down deep into that code and, and eat every single piece of it and understand it all. Like at some point I feel like I get left behind. Mm. Which is a problem with a lot of games. Which is a problem with a lot of games, but it is way more noticeable in Crusader Kings because like, I remember my first Crusader Kings game is Ireland. I managed to conquer Ireland, half of England, most of France, Jerusalem, all of Africa, and part of Italy. Mm -hmm. Recently, if I play Ireland, and, and that was by like, that was after like 300 years. Like I was barely halfway through a game and I'd already had all of that. Nowadays, I'm lucky if I can conquer, after 300 years, if I can conquer all of Ireland and, you know, maybe some of France and England. Like, it, it, it is just a whole other level of magnitude. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you say that that makes it a more ex, uh, accurate experience, though, making those tweaks? It, it In some ways it does, but in other ways there are certain things now where it's like, well, oh, this is a good solution to this problem. Oh, I don't have that solution anymore. Like, you know, plotting is, has, made, has been seriously nerfed. Like, you can't just plot to murder a character anymore. It's, it's much harder now. So it used to be you would have this chance and there'd be a pretty, you know, you would try it and there would be a fairly high chance it would fail, but you could try it. And you could just keep paying money. If you had, if you had the money, you could just keep buying assassins. Now it's, Oh, you have to get like eight people on your side. And a lot of times it's people who already hate you because that's why you want the person that they're the queen of murdered anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need people who like you dead. So if they hate you, chances are pretty good that everybody in their court hates you. So, you know, it, it it nerfs some things that used to be like, it used to be, Hey, you know what? If you want the queen of England dead, I mean, it's going to cost you $200 per attempt, but you could save up 800 gold and you will kill the queen of England. <laughs> now it's, you got to get all of the Dukes to like you, or you got to get all of her priests to like you. And that's, a, that's, that's a much bigger proposition. Right. I can see that. So, you know, I like it and I still love Crusader Kings. I mean, there is nothing, there is literally no other game that gives you, what Crusader Kings gives you. Like, literally. I would say in a lot of ways, the the closest analog is something like Dwarf Fortress. And even then, I mean... And even then, it's such a different thing, but... I, I mean, mean in it's terms easier of the, to assassinate nobles. But I mean, in terms of the scope and the, the richness of the, of the world itself, like, I would say it's probably up there with something like World of Warcraft or Dwarf Fortress. Mm -hmm. um, but you should talk about Stellaris, Vix. I know you've played a lot more of that than I have. I have. I actually really like Stellaris. Um... It it is very much uh, it, it carries a lot of similar um, functionality to Crusader Kings, mm -hmm. especially in the way that uh, like uh, regions are handled and like building on planets and stuff like that is yeah. very similar. And uh, uh, but I like it much more than Crusader Kings just for the one of the primary reasons is it's it's sci-fi and I'm a, yeah. I'm a bigger fan of sci-fi over like I would say that's probably why I like Crusader historical Kings. Fiction and yep. yeah, because you're you're more historical. I, yeah, I love like mid like Middle Ages Europe is one of my favorite settings, which is also why you like medieval engineers. Yes, so I love castles. It's great in that it's kind of like um, it's been hard for me to find a good 
um, grand strategy space game that's like really nice. Yeah. Um, but this one actually does scratch that itch really well because yeah. usually like it's lack. Most of them are like Sins of a Solar Empire was really good, but it was lacking in certain areas. I, I would say that's not quite a grand strategy game. No, well that's that's exactly yeah. It. It's it's more tactical. It's got it leans more on tactical than strategy. I know. Yes. And uh, there were certain aspects of that which were far more frustrating. Like yeah, as uh, the bigger you get, the more difficult it is to maintain larger fleets. Yeah. And and that's always annoying to me. I would say I would say probably the only the only other thing that really comes close is probably Aurora 4K. Yeah, in a way. In a way, but even that's it's it's I'm, not I'm the same. Have to, I'm gonna have to talk a little bit about, about Aurora 4K later. But so so playing this, uh, there's a lot that I love about it. I do love the fact that there's like factions that crop up that you have to satisfy to improve, mm-hmm. which give bonuses to certain things. Um, maintaining fleet, like the balance of like maintaining the ability to build up your fleet and the the speed in which you can build a fleet. Yeah. Uh, especially as you expand. Um is is good i like the balancing there and it's well balanced um and the the whole concept one of the things that i absolutely love about it is it does encourage exploration mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of story related stuff that goes on as you find new places you you have sign ships that you send out and they survey systems and they'll find different things that they have to do research for yep. and you have to have a high enough level scientist researching and and coming across stuff that'll give you bonuses or will will push forward one of the different storylines it's very interesting to me i i enjoy that a lot i think that was honestly the the science was the thing that actually started to make me kind of annoyed with that game really like it i just i found there are parts of stellaris that i find almost too micro-y for my taste uh-huh and like directing people to go hey i need to find someone who can actually it, in, a lot like of the, in, a, in a lot of the, in, a, in a lot of the same actually for a lot of the same reasons that i found hearts of iron like i feel like at the speed that i want that game to go i need to be just a little too hands-on because yeah, because you, you that play feeling. that you play that game a little bit slower than i do i always wanted it at like four or five and you uh-huh. play it like two or three um, but I'm just, I don't know if it's just that I'm impatient or what, but I, I always find I think you're impatient. I'm impatient. Um, I, I like it. Um, which is funny because in Crusader Kings, I play a lot. I go high speed, stop, high speed, stop, high speed, stop. Like I very rarely play it at, at medium speeds. But you can do that in, in, in Stellaris too. So. Yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah, but I find I'm stop. I stop so much. Mm-hmm. I'm just constantly stopping. Yeah. I, even at, at like the, I do the second from the bottom speed, mm-hmm. which it seems reasonable. There are times when you'll just get flooded with things that yeah. crop up just before something big enough to pause the game for you yeah. crops up. Um, but I, I personally don't find that as a as a big deal. Yeah, maybe not. Um, and getting getting things done never seems like too much of an issue to me in that regard. It is a little a little bit more micro, but as I have a lot of experience with micro games, like home world. That's stuff, true. You play a lot more micro games than I do anyway. It, I, I think I might be just a little more attuned to it. That's fair. I will say for, as far as Crusader Kings, like I think, you know, much like uh, dwarf fortress, the thing that I like about it the most is that it is such a, you know, it, it is an engine for storytelling in a lot of ways. It's, you know, yeah. Oh, I, I, my, king went out and sh- and made friends with this guy who he then sent to this other noble's court that noble murdered him while he was trying to find a casus belly so i then went out of my way to conquer his kingdom 
force his daughter as, you know, marry his daughter uh, to, to my son to make sure that his line, you know, to make sure that his line would never, ever, you know, be able to, to go anywhere, locked him and his wife in prison and then conquered that kingdom and gave it to his, that, that man's son. Like you have things like that happen, or you have the time where you were, your, your kingdom was conquered and your wife was taken as a concubine and you were taken, you know, you were thrown into prison, but you eventually broke out and then your son managed to come back and he conquered the, the, that kingdom and, and, and became a Duke. And you just have all these things. And there's all this intrigue of, well, I can marry this person to this other person and three generations from now, if that person marries this other person, then I'll be able to inherit that kingdom or that co- country. That, there's a lot of that in, in Crusader Kings, and I find that all very interesting, considering the fact that they've fairly well accurately modeled uh, a chunk of time. Yeah, like, I what, mean, it feels several centuries. Uh, eight hundred to. Th- 1390 yeah so, that's... so like five yeah like 500 years yeah you don't want to start at the 800 start date you want to start at the 1100 start date or 1066 start date but even uh, so it's what, about 300 years when you jump into crusader kings the first thing it does is it gives you a bunch of options as to yeah. where you want to start who you want to play there's uh there's uh specific people in time that you could play as or they they, they recommend you people who are considered quote-unquote interesting for each of the time periods mm-hmm. uh the earliest the, actually there's an even earlier start date there's one now from like 735 800 is the start of charlemagne 1066 of course is when uh, william the conqueror invaded england uh from normandy and uh I, those two i think are I, I think the 1066 is, is the better start date. Charlemagne basically conquered all of France, so that makes it... There are a lot of very large blocks of countries in, in that, whereas everything's a little bit more broken up in, in the 1066 start date. But, like, they'll point out to you interesting characters or interesting things to play, but you can also play... I mean, if you want to play as the Duke, or you know, as the Count of, you know, one province in Transylvania, you can do it. Yeah. You may not necessarily have fun, but you can do it. And you can do that for basically any kingdom from Iceland in the far north to like Saudi Arabia in the far in the far south. And if you have I mean if you have the any of the expansions, they add new locations. They had Muslims, they had Jews, they had Norse, they had, yeah, they had all sorts of crazy stuff. The Silk Road. Yeah. Um, they, they, were, they, they also added a couple that just add a bunch of new lifestyle options and new role-playing stuff like, oh, now you can um, take on a seduction focus or a conqueror focus or a drinking, you know, a carousing focus. And those do things like make you friendlier with various people or better at certain. Tactics. Yeah, better at certain tactics and open up, you know, allows you to romance various people or whatever, which can be useful in certain situations. Right. Um. Now, what else? What- now that we've like talked um, specifics, well, well, specifically this group. Uh, why am I having? <sighs> What's the name of the company we were just talking about? <coughs> Paradox. Oh, I should oh. also point out that uh, Europa Universalis is the game that sort of comes between. Let's say between um, Crusader Kings and, and uh, Victoria, it takes place from thirteen hundred to like eighteen hundred. So it covers all of the Renaissance and wow. the and the early like basically. Well, no, I guess it's like the sixteen, like late seventeen hundreds. So it basically covers from the Renaissance period to the Revolutionary War, um, which I like the first half of that. You know, ba- basically once pirate ships stop, 
I start losing interest in that period of, in that time period. <laughs> um, like for me, it's it's the Middle Ages and pirates are the things that I'm super into. But I think uh, Europa Universalis Three was the game that really hooked me. That finally got me into Paradox after I stopped calling it Civilization minus the fun parts, um, which is. <laughs> really how I started thinking of those games at first. Like I could not figure out where the fun was. Uh, they, they're hard, to, they're hard games to get into. I will, I will not dance around that at the, all. The focus is in a completely different area, but once you get into it. Yes. Once you, once you learn what you should be doing, it gets more fun. Um, and your Universalis four is great. I just find it very hard. I find it hard to keep a budget. I lose a lot, but it's still a fun game. And, um, so let's talk uh, Civ Six for a little while. Let's talk Civ Six because Civ Six is basically uh, Civilization plus Europa Universalis. Yes. Yeah. It seems like uh, with the with the breakout um, in popularity of um, I, I feel like Civ Six is played by some people who really liked really liked them some paradox. They they definitely saw some of the benefits of including it because there's there's some there's some major changes. I mean, if you thought Civ Five was a major deviation from, and we from should point the, out, we 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 do know that Civ is not technically a grand strategy game. Well, you but do. we've been playing it a lot. You do, yeah. Um, but we we see that actually Civ Six has been pulling a lot more interesting yes. stuff to make it closer to a grand strategy. Game. I, I yeah, I, I, I might not completely fill that niche, but I feel I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think one of the things that makes a grand strategy game a grand strategy game is that sort of larger scope which civ still doesn't quite have but it's it definitely get like i do love a lot of the things that it does feel like they pulled from paradox like i'm not sure necessarily why some of them are there but it's neat that they're there like uh, the Cassus belly system is now in um civ 6 uh which is reason Cassus belly means re- cause or reason for war yeah. um and it basically allows you to you know they, they basically pulled the warmongers uh concept from europa universalis which is basically the more provinces you conquer, the more other leaders are likely to declare war on you. Um, and they brought that into Civ, and that I kind of like, except the AI is already super aggressive. But yeah, they, the Casus Belly, I'm not sure works, because I have yet to find actually any actual Casus Bellies. Hmm, yeah. Except, so, for, except being denounced, which, whatever. That might that might expand as you get into the game. Uh, possibly, or maybe expansion packs, I'm not sure. There was uh, also some other mechanics, uh, just because we're talking Civ 6, I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. I liked the fact that now, alongside the research tree, there is a governmental, uh, what would that be? A the civics, civics tree. tree. I like the civics tree. Which is very interesting, especially with the card system that they put in place. As you... That part I like. The, the, I actually really liked the, the way the civics worked in, in Civ 5, where mm-hmm. it forced you to make sort of hard choices. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like the fact that it's now just treated as straight up bonuses. Like, that's that's a nice trade-off i also really just like the map the map is really good i, I like the fact the way that, that it basically draws. just looks like you know a, a, a 14th century like painting yes or like a a, a chart yeah a yeah like an old cartographer chart, chart. Yeah. yeah yeah it's great all right um i guess that's Civ six <laughs> what else what about uh so i guess we want to talk about aurora 4X. you should talk about aurora um it's spreadsheets in space yeah it is definitely a grand strategy game in in the extreme it couples some of my favorite things about about that. Um, it's very. It requires a lot more imagination than most games. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's very old fashioned in its styling. It's not a graphical game. Um, it's more about like planning and working out. There's a lot of options, and the ship interactions are vast. Yeah. In that, um, 
the ships themselves are points in space and it has a very realistic model of the physics and the flying of the ships. So um, it takes a huge amount of learning. It is by far the most complicated game I've ever played. And I I still don't understand half of what's in there, but it's very I just don't know that I want, like, I just, there's nothing about, like, I I understand that it's cool, but there's just nothing about it that makes me really want to get past learning. It's just like, Dwarf Fortress in that you really got to want to get involved yeah. in it for it to actually hold any But, weight. like, Dwarf Fortress, like, instantly spoke to me in a way that Aurora just doesn't. Mm. And just, I don't know. Part Partially, it is, like I said, you know, I I think I've always liked the medieval and the fantasy more than I like sci-fi. Um, right. But also, like, I, I already have several good sci-fi games. Like, you know, Masters of Orion is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, it's not Aurora, but it's pretty darn good. Um, and endless space is okay. Um, so I don't know. It's just like at some point I feel like I have to just because it's a game that you keep talking about, but it's just really hard to work up the <laughs> like e- even after watching a couple of tutorial videos, it was just very hard to work. There's up the there's a lot, and interest. and I will definitely say it's not for everybody. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that'd be like, or oh, or X, what is this? Um, it really is very detailed, yeah. very very well, complex. It's one and of those it's not necessarily a good thing for a game like yeah. this. But it, I do find it enjoyable. I, I sort of feel a lot about that like I did about Victoria, where I remember saying to you at one point, like 20 minutes into my first game of Victoria, this is either the greatest game ever made or the most obnoxious, annoying thing ever. And then about 20 minutes later, I texted you and said, most annoying, obnoxious thing ever. <laughs> um, and I sort of feel the same way about Aurora. I, I sort of feel this way about all of the grand strategy games we've talked about, where I feel like Europa Universalis and Crusader Kings and Stellaris sort of dance on that knife edge where there are parts of them that are a little too complex. And there are parts of them where you're maybe waiting a little bit too long between them, between things going on. But they're manageable and they're interesting most they're interesting enough to keep you going between the neck to the next there's major a, thing. There's quite often where you'll just wanna one you wanna know what's gonna happen next. Right. But at the same time, like they're they're complex enough that there's cool things going on. They're interesting enough that you wanna see what's gonna happen next. But they're not so complex that they terrify you, and they're not so long between things that you give up. Whereas Victoria, I felt, was both of those things. And Hearts of Iron, I just felt, was so complex that I just didn't want to touch it. So, uh, I think to finish off, there was one thing I wanted to do. Um, And it was kind of a tough thing. I've been working on on this thought. Um, When I was... When we were on our break in between, yes. I was thinking about this. I was like, I can pitch an awesome idea for a game concept. Okay. And then I realized this isn't this this isn't that first half. This is the mouthwash. We're not supposed to be pitching games, but I'm gonna pitch it anyway. Okay. Um, I would love to see the concept of a grand strategy game taken, uh, like like let's say Crusader Kings in it, in the intrigue and the dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, but wrap it up in something similar to uh crap what's the name of that game the first person fighting game that, that oh uh, xeno clash no 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 um not xeno clash i don't even know what you're talking about it's a first person fighting game no not just any random first person fighting game the idea be- being behind this is you play as first person as the king and you can you can you have like the full broad strategy oh controls. mountain blade mountain blade yeah. take mountain blade and Crusader Kings and mash them together. So you're playing as the ruler yeah. and you have to, you know, deal with your entire country and you have all of those options available to you, but you have to do it directly as a person. So like if you want to send soldiers out, 
you have to grab a guy and be like, hey, I need you to bring the Grand Vizier mm-hmm. of War to me, whatever. He comes and be like, I need you to grab somebody. Oh, well, but how about him? Okay, yeah, have him grab some soldiers and go out there and fight. I could see that working. I feel like that might be, like, at some point, that's just an interface reskin as much as anything well, else. Well, that's what I was thinking, though. Yeah. I mean, think about how interesting that would be to, to have to actually, like, directly control an entire government from, the from like, the king's perspective. I could see it being both, like, interesting and over. Like, I guess it would work in, like, VR or something, but I could see it both being very interesting but also extremely overwhelming. Well, it would be kind of cool if you could do it in VR wherein... Um, it had like really good voice recognition yeah. and you like, you actually talk with the people and be like, Hey you, yeah, yeah. You, I want you to take like 20,000 people. I want you to go to Italy and I want you to assassinate the King. Go do it. Yeah. No, go, 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 go. Yeah. That would be cool. Actually, if you're going to do that, I think, I think the one that I would like to see the most revisit and do correctly, which I don't feel like they did last time is uh, Sengoku. Okay. Which is basically crusader Kings, but just for Japan. Ah, okay. And I feel like that is like that is the one where that would work. Like it's it's small enough that you're not dealing you're with right. the entire world. So you're like just dealing with the and also like that was also sort of how that worked already. Like there was much more of that daimyo culture. There was a lot more of that. You take them, go. You do this, go. You do that, go. Whereas in 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 Europe, the the king actually rode the front lines a lot more. Like it was actually well, much more hands off. I mean, but that at the same time, you could you could have that. Yeah, yeah. Because as the king, you'd be like, "You guys come with me. But I, we're I, going to war." I just mean the, the 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 smaller. I think the smaller scope would help a little bit. Also, I think there's just some more interesting stuff going on in Sengoku era and Japan. the feudal Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. There's some, there's some really crazy stuff involved, think, with like trading and. I think in like uh, it would be awesome to see revisited King, King Arthur era medieval times mm. or the feudal Japan. Either of those, it could be. Yeah. it would also be supremely complex and impossible to actually have any success with. That's true. I I would also like to see, I would also say that I would really like to see Robin Hood actually show up in Crusader Kings. He never has, and like he's he was the thing that I like. I was obsessed with Robin Hood when I was like 13 or 14 yeah. or 12 or 13. And I would, I would love to see Robin so, Hood. So when we were up. talking about nostalgia, why didn't you mention Robin Hood men in tights? Not, not Robin Hood men in tights, just Robin Hood. Well, I mean, I didn't see men but, in tights until I was like 19. Oh, well that's a pity. Yeah. I didn't see it until, well, I guess like 17. I was in high school. Um, but that's either here nor there. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so I, I think we should also just wrap up with uh, a little bit of, Unfortunately, it's a short episode because we promised a friend that we would meet up with him, which I, I apologize to everybody out there because I think there is actually a lot more we could say about Grand Strategy. And we might have a revisit episode. Well, we'll have to have a revisit. Uh, but we should wrap up, I think, a little bit with some of what we've been playing because I know you've been playing some things. I've been playing some things. Yeah. I know we've both played at least one of the same thing. Civ 6. Well, we played Civ 6, but we also played uh, Rogue Empire. Rogue Empire. Which is that roguelike that uh, I was in that contest for? Oh right, yeah, we did want to talk about that. A yeah, bit. so yeah. I, I I will say the it, it it just made it on Steam a couple weeks ago, uh, like the, the last week of January. Uh, I've played it a bit. Luke's played it a bit. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's fair to say that we both kind of like it. Um, well, there's we definitely can see where he's going. With I, it. I I'd say we can both see where we's. Go- I I would say that I think it is a good game that I think has the potential to be a great game. Yeah, like I think. It, I, I think, it, and I think we both are sort of on the same page when we say that. My, yeah. I think my biggest concern about this game is I feel like he's taken a lot of the good ideas from a lot of other roguelikes that I like quite a bit. Some right, Adam, yeah. some Tales of Magile. A uh, dungeon crawl. <clears throat> I see, 
I see where he what he wanted from those yep. when he made this game, and I I can see the the bones of those games yep. in this game, which is great. I think my major issue with this game, uh, in, in a constructive manner, yep. is that a lot of these games have something about them that makes them stand out from all the other roguelikes. So let's yep. be honest here: roguelikes are a blossoming um, game genre that re-blossoming. everybody reblossoming, yeah, yeah, that everybody's really involved in right now. So mm-hmm. if you want this game to be successful, you need to find something to make it stand out. And, and, and it does, and I should say it does have some things that are, are, are pretty unique about it. Like I really love the level up system. I think that is a really cool idea with the cards, with yes. the cards, the way that it, it feels like you are sort of constructing your deck mm-hmm. in a way that like, um, you know, in a way like similar to something like a magic, the gathering or, 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 or constructible card game, which is really neat, or collectible card game, which is really neat. I'd, I'd, like I'd, I'd say, like to see him lean into that more even. I was going to say, I'd like to see him expand on that concept mm-hmm. further to kind of like pull that into other aspects of the game. I think I think no one's not, really done not, that. And, and it, not quite all the way to um, Guild of uh, Guild of Engineering levels. I think that's no. that's almost too far. Yeah. But like like even, even if it lets you like when you entered a dungeon, like pick five or six like bonuses that you could use like as cards and like burn them, like have have a small deck that you could choose from for each dungeon. Yeah, actually, I like that idea. That way, there you have kind of like a a little bit of um a, yeah. a boost from like one time use cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because because I will say that is that has been my biggest bummer about about that game is I really like it, but I feel like I should like it more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's one of those like I feel like it is a B plus game. It's like it's doing everything right. It's just not doing anything amazing, and I really wish. It, and I feel like it should. It it should. Uh, like, or I feel like it could. I, I guess that was my point specifically. Is mm. is while it is great, and I can yeah. I can see what he's pulling from the other games. He still hasn't done anything specifically to make me want to play it over any of those other games. Right, and and yeah. and, I, and I and and it and it is fair to say, like it is still very very early in alpha, if not or, or very early in beta, if not still in alpha. And we so, highly recommend anyone who's interested to check this a- game absolutely. out. Absolutely, and and I mean, yeah, and, and I was gonna say it's like. He's not done. I'm sure he has plenty of time to uh, go through and add things and tweak things and, and, and push things. I mean, I would suspect that it's probably going to be another six months or, or at least before he's done with it. Mm-hmm. So, like, it has plenty of time to grow. Like, and, and, and we've talked before, uh, back during our Game of the Year episode, like, if he stopped working on it today, I would, I might say I'd be a little bummed. But I feel like, you know, in six months or a year, like, that game is, I, I, I would be willing to say to anybody, yeah, you should pick it up. It's, it's going to shape, you know, as long as he keeps working on it, it's going to shape up into something cool. I, I have a good feeling about I, it. I, I agree. Right now, if he was to say, I'm done with it, it wouldn't be worth it. Right. The understanding that he's going to expand on it and make it better means that it's going yeah. to be a great gives, game. Me, gives, me, gives me confidence. I feel, you know, like like when we talked about Factorio, like when we talked about Astroneer, like I feel like he's on the right track. Like right. if he keeps going in the way that he has been going, this game is going to be something special. And yep. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I will also say that I've played... A t- we both played a ton of Monster Hunter Three. Yes, a lot of Monster Hunter Three. Well, uh, we we've we've been kind of like wanting to play Monster Hunter World. That kind of we saw what it was and and we liked the like we like Monster Hunter. Right. And we just ha- so happy that Josh picked up Monster Hunter Three recently for his Wii U. Yep. So we got together and we played that because we both don't have PlayStation Fours. So we can't right. play Hun- Monster Hunter World until it comes out for PC later this right this year. Yes. Yeah, it's probably towards the third like quarter. August, I think. Um, 
and we're dying to play Monster Hunter. I, re- I really am. I am. I am actually pretty excited about it. Although I will say, like going back and playing Monster Hunter Three also reminds you of some of the things that I really drive me crazy about Monster Hunter, which is how many times you have to grind sometimes for some things, like. Yeah. Baroth, 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 Baroth. At the same time, Karapeka, kind of like, Baroth, Baroth, Karapeka, Karapeka, It's Baroth. kind of the direction that they went with this game. It's not specifically <laughs> that it's it's grindy in that direction, but that's kind of like the the point of the game is to fight these big monsters yeah. over and over again. It's just, it, it would be nice if I could jump between, say, three at a time rather than it really making more sense to just, well, I need, I want this, uh, I want this weapon or I want this armor, which means... I need seven of this kind of scale, and they only drop from this one monster, so I'm just going to keep following that monster. I agree. Also, I think it would be better if the game encouraged a better diversity of of hunting. Yes. Um, I mean, there's missions and stuff like that, but you're right. It doesn't encourage you to just hunt around. I mean, when you're you're looking for It does a little more once you... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that, like, the monsters at least start showing up in the broader hunt, like, in the broader world. So, like, there is some reason to just wander around and... Like, I started having Ludros and Korpekos just flying around my island, so, like, there was some... But even then, like, then you risk having two Ludros, a Korpeko, and a Jaggy just show up on your, uh, in, in, in the same area, and then you're this, in real trouble. This stupid Korpeko calling other dudes. So <sighs> I've gotten pretty good at fighting Korpekos. Yeah, actually... So, um, for those of you who don't know what Monster Hunter 3 is, a Korpeko is a giant, basically a giant flaming flam- uh, pelican. I liked flaming flamingo better. Flaming flamingo. Um... Although, uh, funnily enough, and this is kind of interesting, the weapons are nice and diverse. Yeah. And as an example of that, uh, Josh can't stand the bow, but I've actually been having some success with it. Yeah, I don't like the bow. Actually, the bow in Monster Hunter 3 is pretty terrible, but I, I am having success with it. It's funny. As a support weapon, I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, I, I think that, that'll that be good. Uh, yeah, I actually really like the hammer, and I really like I really love the longsword. Uh, I'm actually building up for the next level of hammer right now, the, uh, Which, the flame hammer. Oh, so uh, yeah, really I gotta, I gotta that. work on that too. Uh, yeah. So I, I will also say, do you have any other games to uh, discuss? Not at the moment, I don't think. Okay, I have one. Uh, well, I, I have two others. Uh, we had uh, sound. I had sound guy Trevor over the other day to hang out for a little bit, uh, and he and I played some. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Human Fall Flat. We played some Star Wall. I've been watching Human Fall Flat. Human that, Fall Flat is great. It really good. is. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So I, I really like. Uh, I really like Human Fall Flat. I, I will say I don't like Star Wall. Um, I like the concept of Star Wall. Yes, I love the concept and I love the aesthetics. Uh-huh. Playing Star Wall is terrible. It's so hard. Speaking of hard, actually, it's just there, not was, fun. there was a game that I've, I've played recently. I've okay. pretty far, uh, far the two times I've played it. Which is? Um, getting over it. Oh, I'm that fine. game is so good. It's great. It's hard. Yeah. I, I, tore I, my, myself, I, I tore my rotator cuff playing that game. I find myself having difficulty with, like, my left hand. Yeah. Because I'm using my right, and my left hand is, like, up in the air, like, cringing the entire time, and I'm making little noises because it's, like, so terrifying the entire time. That, that game literally gave me my first video game-related injury. We have to talk about Bennett Foddy games. I, that's one thing I want to do. We'll, is, put that, we'll put that in soon. Is, as a pitch thing. I think we could come oh, up with yeah. other new Bennett Foddy. Because Bennett Foddy is unique in the way that he devises games. Yes. I think I think we need to talk about him and his style of game. I think we should see if we can invite him on. Probably not. We're a little too small, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, that, well, it'd be kind of fun to talk to talk It would. I think, Brennan, I, I think he is a genius. Him and uh, Brendan Chung, both geniuses. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I will also say I've been playing. Um, yeah, I, I, I love getting over it. I wish I could keep playing it. I injured my shoulder, so I cannot. <laughs> um, but uh, no, so I, I should say I was also I got a new couch last week. Um, so I've been playing a lot of a lot of PlayStation Three games because that's what I have hooked up to my entertainment center when I'm not playing Monster Hunter. I've been playing a ton of Dead Rising Two, and I off the record, Dead Rising Two off the record, and I don't know why. Um, it's not a great, it's an okay game. It's not a terrible game, but it's not a great game. But there's just something about just running around smacking zombies with machetes tied to brooms that's just kind of satisfying. <laughs> um, and it's a frustrating game. Like the time missions are irritating. Characters kind of tick me off. But I don't know if there's just something about it that it's just, it's satisfying. Just wade through a mass of zombies and just start, you know, wiping them out. And, re- and restarting and like taking your levels and then clearing through it even faster and restarting and taking all your levels and clearing through the first part even faster. I don't know. It's it's a dumb game. It's not a great game, but I don't know. It's 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 like a Michael. It's like the video game version of a Michael Bay film. Like it's it's fun for an hour. Right. Uh, and I guess the last thing I want to pitch is a game that I've had for a while and I've been enjoying. Um, it's a mobile game called Mini Metro. Mm, yes, Mini Metro is great. It's a good little puzzle game, and it's super irritating. It's it's so <coughs> uh, I love how simple and compact it is. Yeah, it it, it gets complicated and difficult to solve very quickly. It, yeah, it, it can. Uh, that, that game gives me real frustration. Sometimes. It's I'm going to call it a war of attrition against shapes. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a plate spinning game for sure. Absolutely. Basically, it's it's drawing little. Um, subway maps and it's it's like six bucks on 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 your tablets i think it's like nine on on pc so definitely mm-hmm. you know if you're looking for something cheap pick it up it's it's you'll you'll have a good two or three hours worth of fun it's a it. good casual game it's more i don't uh, know about casual well it's it's really hardcore uh, yeah it's the type of game that's good for you to pick up and just run the daily missions yes. whenever you're bored it's a good short game yeah yeah it's it's, it's a good bite-sized game but i yeah ca- casual may be overstating the case slightly all right, so I think we're, we're, we're done here. I think we're pretty much done. Uh, we will, with that, we will wrap it up. If you have any questions, thoughts, or pitch ideas, please send them to us at spitfall.sessions at gmail.com. Check out our dev diaries over on spitfallsessions.com. Uh, you can find me at uh, twitch.tv slash kaholos or at kaholos on YouTube. You can find Luke at twitch.tv slash thedrell or at thedrell on Twitter. I'd like to thank Luke for joining me. I'd like to thank all of you at home for listening to another exciting spitball session. Tune in next time. Until then, keep your feet in the batter's box and your eye on the ball, because we'll have another hot pitch coming your way. Thank you for joining us for yet another fun episode of Spitball Sessions. We hope you had a good time. Please pay attention as you exit the stadium to make sure that you're not run over by any cars, trucks, or other moving objects. If you'd like to contact us, you can drop us a line at spitball.sessions at gmail.com or on Twitter at spitballsession. Please leave us reviews on your podcasting platform of choice so that other people can help find the show. Remember, we can't do this without you. And come back in two weeks for the next exciting installment of the Spitball Session. Remember, only you can prevent bad games.